Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Tuesday, May 2nd episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. A lot of great podcasts over there. It's definitely worth your while to go over there and find stuff to listen to. I also want to continue to point you at the final link in our show notes. It is for the Vail Valley Baptist Church Give, Send, Go campaign. Uh, we are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can commence establishment of a Christian classic education-based school. So go ahead and click on the link. It'll provide you a much more thorough description than I just have. And then we would ask three things of you. We'd ask for you to pray for us. We'd ask you to prayerfully consider giving to us. And we'd ask for you to pass the link along so that others can do the same. All right, well, let's go ahead and get going with our Bible study reading for this morning segment. And then for the evening segment, we're going to continue on with our study in the Gospel of John. So we'll open up this morning with the third day morning prayer, God, Creator and Controller. Let's pray. Most High God, the universe with all its myriad creatures is thine, made by thy word, upheld by thy power, governed by thy will. But thou art also the Father of mercies, the God of all grace, the bestower of all comfort, the protector of the saved. Thou hast been mindful of us, hast visited us, preserved us, given us a goodly heritage, the holy scriptures, the joyful gospel, the Savior of souls. We come to thee in Jesus' name. Make mention of his righteousness only. Plead his obedience and sufferings, who magnified the law both in its precepts and penalty, and made it honorable. May we be justified by his blood, saved by his life, joined to his spirit. Let us take up his cross and follow him. May the agency of thy grace prepare us for thy dispensations. Make us willing that thou shouldst choose our inheritance and determine what we shall retain or lose, suffer or enjoy. If blessed with prosperity, may we be free from its snares and use not abuse its advantages. May we patiently and cheerfully submit to those afflictions which are necessary when we are tempted to wander edge up our way, excite in us abhorrence of sin, wean us from the present evil world, assure us that we shall at last enter Emmanuel's land, where none is ever sick, and the sun will always shine. Amen. All right, and now our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. This is the morning for May 2nd, and the text for today for this morning is from John seventeen fifteen. I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world. It is a sweet and blessed event which will occur to all believers in God's own time, the going home to be with Jesus. In a few more years, the Lord's soldiers who are now fighting the good fight of faith will have done with conflict and have entered into the joy of their Lord. But although Christ prays that his people may eventually be with him where he is, he does not ask that they may be taken at once away from this world to heaven. He wishes them to stay here. Yet how frequently does the wearied pilgrim put up the prayer, Oh, that I had 
Oh, excuse me. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then would I fly away and be at rest. But Christ does not pray like that. He leaves us in his Father's hands, until, like shocks of corn fully ripe, we shall each be gathered into our Master's garner. Jesus does not plead for our instant removal by death, for to abide in the flesh is needful for others, if not profitable for ourselves. He asks that we may be kept from evil, but he never asks for us to be admitted to the inheritance and glory till we are of full age. Christians often want to die when they have any trouble. Ask them why, and they tell you, because we would be with the Lord. We fear it is not so much because they were longing to be with the Lord as because they desire to get rid of their troubles, else they would feel the same wish to die at other times when not under the pressure of trial. They want to go home, not so much for the Savior's company as to be at rest. Now it is quite right to desire to depart if we can do it in the same spirit that Paul did, because to be with Christ is far better. But the wish to escape from trouble is a selfish one. Rather let your care and wish be to glorify God by your life here as long as he pleases, even though it be in the midst of toil and conflict and suffering, and leave him to say when it is enough. All right, well, we're going to be reading Judges 15 and 16 today, John chapter 2, Psalm 103, and let's see, Proverbs 14, verses 17 through 19. So, Judges 15, hear the word of the Lord. Now it happened that after a while, in the time of the wheat harvest, Samson visited his wife with a young goat and said, I will go into my wife in her room. But her father did not let him enter, and her father said, I really thought that you hated her intensely, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister better than she? Please let her be yours instead. Samson then said to them, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So Samson went and caught three hundred foxes, and took torches and turned the foxes tail to tail, and put one torch in the middle between two tails. Then he set fire to the torches and sent the foxes into the standing grain of the Philistines. So he caused both the shocks and the standing grain, along with the vineyards and groves, to burn. Then the Philistines said, Who did this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he took his wife and gave her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Then Samson said to them, If you act like this, then I will surely take revenge on you, but after that I will cease. And he struck them ruthlessly with a great slaughter, and he went down and lived in the cleft of the rock of Etam. Then the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and spread out in Lehi. So the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? And they said, We have come up to bind Samson in order to do to him as he did to us. Then three thousand men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. And they said to him, We have come down to bind you, so that we may give you into the hand of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you yourselves will not kill me. So they said to him, No, but we will bind you fast and give you into their hands. Yet surely we will not put you to death. Then they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted as they met him. And the Spirit of Yahweh came upon him mightily, so that the ropes that were on his arms were as flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds dropped from his hands, and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, so he sent forth his hand and took it and struck down a thousand men with it. 
Then Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey I have struck down one thousand men. Now it happened that when he had finished speaking, he threw the jawbone from his hand, and he named that place Ramath-Lehi. Then he became very thirsty, and he called to Yahweh and said, You have given this great salvation by the hand of your slave. But now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi, and water came out of it. Then he drank, and his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore he named it Enhakor, which is in Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel twenty years in the days of the Philistines. Judges 16 Then Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. And it was told to the Gazites, saying, Samson has come here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. And they kept silent all night, saying, Let us wait until the morning light. Then we will kill him. But Samson lay until midnight, and at midnight he arose and seized the doors of the city gate and the two posts and pulled them up along with the bars. Then he put them on his shoulders and brought them up to the top of the mountain, which is opposite Hebron. Then it happened afterwards that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, and her name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines, Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him and see where his great strength lies, and how we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. Then we will each give you eleven hundred pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength is and how you may be bound to afflict you. Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh cords that have not been dried, then I will become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh cords that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had been lying in wait, sitting in an inner room, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the cords as a string of tinder snaps when it touches fire. So his strength was still not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have deceived me and told me lies. Now please tell me how you may be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me tightly with new ropes, which have not been used for work, then I will become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. Now the men lying in wait were sitting in the inner room, but he snapped the ropes from his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Up to now you have deceived me and told me lies. Tell me how you may be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it with a pin, then I will become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his hair and wove them into the web. And she fastened it with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the pin of the loom and the web. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have deceived me these three times and have not told me where your great strength is. Now what happened when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death? So he told her all that was in his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I will become weak and be like every other man. And Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart. So she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all that is in his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought up the silver in their hands. Then she made him sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. 
Then she began to afflict him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that Yahweh had left him. Then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes, and they brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze chains, and he was a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaved off. Now the lords of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their god, and to be glad, and they said, Our god has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. Then the people saw him and praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hands, even the destroyer of our country, who has slain many of us. So it happened, when their hearts were merry, that they said, Call for Samson, that he may amuse us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he entertained them, and they made him stand between the pillars. Then Samson said to the boy who was holding his hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house is established, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there, and about three thousand men and women were on the roof looking on while Samson was amusing them. Then Samson called to Yahweh and said, O Lord Yahweh, please remember me and please strengthen me just this time, O God, that I may at once be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house was established and supported himself against them, the one with his right hand and the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bent with his strength, so that the house fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he put to death by his death were more than those whom he put to death in his life. Then his brothers and all his father's household came down, carried him, brought him up, and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal, in the tomb of Manoah his father. Thus he had judged Israel twenty years. John chapter 2 and on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what do I have to do with you? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water jars set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing two or three measures each. Jesus said to them, Fill the water jars with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now, and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. Now when the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom, and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the inferior wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this in Cana of Galilee as the beginning of his signs and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there a few days. And the Passover ver of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, Take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Then, Ju then Jews, I'm sorry, the Jews then said to him, What sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this sanctuary, and in three days I will raise it up. 
The Jews then said, It took 46 years to build this sanctuary, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the sanctuary of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, and when they saw his signs which he was doing. But Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men, and because he had no need that anyone bear witness concerning him, for he himself knew what was in man. All right, Psalm 103 of David. Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Yahweh performs righteous deeds and judgment, judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. Yahweh is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always contend with us, and will not, and he will not keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, and he has not rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so Yahweh has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our form. He remembers that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flowers. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of Yahweh is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant, and remember his precepts to do them. Yahweh has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless Yahweh, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless Yahweh, all you his hosts, you who serve him, doing his will. Bless Yahweh, all you works of his, and all places of his rule. Bless Yahweh, O oh my soul. All right, in Proverbs 14, verses 17 through 19. A quick-tempered man acts in folly, and a man of evil schemes is, schemes is hatred. The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. The evil will bow down before the good, and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. All right, well, that is our Bible reading for the day. I hope you have a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all the all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you this evening for the evening segment. Let's go ahead and close out in prayer. The prayer we're going to close out with for this morning is called the throne. Let's pray. O God of my delight, thy throne of grace is the pleasure ground of my soul. Here I obtain mercy in time of need. Here see the smile of thy reconciled face. Here joy pleads the name of Jesus. Here I sharpen the sword of the Spirit, anoint the shield of faith, put on the helmet of salvation, gather manna from thy word, am strengthened for each conflict, nerved for the upward race, empowered to conquer every foe. Help me to come to Christ as the fountainhead of descending blessings, as a wide-open floodgate of mercy. 
I marvel at my insensate folly that with such enriching favors within my reach I am slow to extend the hand to take them. Have mercy upon my deadness for thy name's sake. Quicken me, stir me, fill me with holy zeal. Strengthen me that I may cling to thee and not let thee go. May thy spirit within me draw all blessings from thy hand. When I advance not, I backslide. Let me walk humbly because of good omitted and evil done. Impress on my mind the shortness of time, the work to be engaged in, the account to be rendered, the nearness of eternity, the fearful sin of despising thy spirit. May I never forget that thy eyes always see that thy eye always sees, thy ear always hears, thy recording hand always writes. May I never give thee rest until Christ is the pulse of my heart, the spokesman of my lips, the lamp of my feet. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have a great day, and I hope to see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Tuesday, May 2nd episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. I would definitely recommend you do so. A lot of great listening over, over there, over a lot of, lot of great topics. So definitely worth your while to spend some time over there. All right, well, we're going to be continuing on in our study of John chapter 8. Uh, let's go ahead and open up in prayer. Uh, we're going to o- open up with one from Valley Vision called Faith and the World. Let's pray. O Lord, the world is artful to entrap approaches to, en- I'm sorry, the world is artful to entrap, approaches in fascinating guise, extends many a gilded bait, presents many a charming face. Let my faith scan every painted bauble and escape every bewitching snare in a victory that overcomes all things. In my duties, give me firmness, energy, zeal, devotion to thy cause, courage in thy name. Love is a working grace, and I'll commensurate with my trust. Let faith stride forth in giant power, and love respond with energy in every act. I often mourn the absence of my beloved Lord, whose smile makes earth a paradise, whose voice is sweetest music, whose presence gives all graces strength. But by unbelief, I often keep him outside my door. Let faith give entrance that he may abide with me forever. Thy word is full of promises, flowers of sweet fragrance, fruit of refreshing flavor, when culled by faith. May I be made rich in its riches, be strong in its power, be happy in its joy, abide in its sweetness, feast on its preciousness, draw vigor from its manna. Lord, increase my faith. Amen. All right, now the evening devotion for May 2nd from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. The text for it is from Hebrews eleven thirteen. These all died in faith. Behold the epitaph of all those blessed saints who fell asleep before the coming of our Lord. It matters nothing how else they died, whether of old age or by violent means. This one point in which they all agree is the most worthy of record. They all died in faith. In faith they lived, it was their comfort, their guide, their motive, and their support. And in the same spiritual grace they died, ending their life song in the sweet strain in which they had so long continued. They did not die resting in the flesh or upon their own attainments. They made no advance from their first way of acceptance with God, but held to the way of faith to the end. 
Faith is as precious to die by as to live by. Dying in faith has distinct reference to the past. They believed the promises which had gone before and were assured that their sins were blotted out through the mercy of God. Dying in faith has to be with the present. These saints were confident of their acceptance with God. They enjoyed beams of his love and rested in his faithfulness. Dying in faith looks into the future. They fall asleep. I'm sorry, they fell asleep, affirming that the Messiah would surely come and that and that when he would in the last days appear upon the earth, they would rise from their graves to behold him. To them the pains of death were but the birth pangs of a better state. Take courage, my soul, as thou readest this epitaph. Thy course through grace is one of faith, and sight seldom cheers thee. This has also been the pathway of the brightest and the best. Faith was the orbit in which these stars of the first magnitude moved all the time of their shining here. And happy art thou that it is thine. Look anew tonight to Jesus, the author and finisher of thy faith, and thank him for giving thee like precious faith with souls now in glory. All right. Like I said, we're going to continue on in our study of John chapter 8. Um, we've hit this next section. It's called... Um, as, as I, as I've said before, I use, um, the, the titles and subsection titles and whatever from MacArthur's commentary, it's just easier for me, but he calls this next section, Jesus, the light of the world. So I'm going to go ahead and read from verses 12 to through verse 21, and then we're going to start dealing with the verse we're handling today. So John eight, verse 12, hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisee said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness about myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it, but I am the Father who sent me. Even in your law it has been written that the witness of two men is true. I am he who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So they were saying to him, Where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he was teaching in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Then he said again to them, I am going away, and you will seek me, and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. All right, so, you know, we've we've seen Jesus head up to this, to this um, Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, and we've, we've gone through a number of sections while he was there and his teaching and stuff that he did. Um, but I, as I told you back then when we were first getting into this, so the whole point of the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, it's the same thing. Um, the idea of the booths or tabernacles were, were um, little shelters they would make for themselves. They'd make them in their courtyards, up on their roofs, because they had flat roofs, um, out in the town square, you name it. And then they would stay in them during this during this celebration, and this celebration, the the um, feast of tabernacles, the feast of booths, was to celebrate the exodus, to celebrate their escape from um, from uh, Egypt, and 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 to commemorate their time wandering in the wilderness. That's what it was for. Okay, and we need to remember um, back so. 
we got to remember back in uh, John chapter seven that Jesus there spoke of being the living water, being the living water. And we talked about how that associated with during this feast of booths at one point, the, uh, the priest would come in and he would pour water as he circled the altar. I, but no, yeah, no, I'm sorry. As he circled, um, yeah, the altar where, where they would sacrifice, he would circle that pouring the water and it was to, com- to commemorate um, the water coming from the stone that was provided by God for them when they were out in the wilderness as, as God provided for them. But again, that was the one of the that was the first of Jesus of the seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. So he spoke about the living water, and of course he was speaking it here at a time and in a feast, in 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 the context of them doing that celebration, the pouring of the water. So there's a relationship there. Well, we see that again when we come in here. What we're going to deal with today in this section about the Jesus proclaiming that he's the light of the world is we're going to look at Jesus's assertion. So like, you know, last night I gave you a base, base introduction of the fact of, you know, how dark our world is and how dark their world was in first century Palestine. And we saw how critical having the light is. Well, so, and then we, we dealt with verse 20, we dealt with the area where it was in, which is critical. Actually, we need to remember this. So he spoke this, um, these words, let's see, verse 20, these words, he spoke in the treasury as he was teaching in this, in this temple and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. So, and I told you about the treasury. It was those boxes. Um, they were 13 trumpet shaped boxes that people would drop their money into and it was all earmarked. So if you dropped it in this box, it went for this thing, dropped it in this box, it went for this thing. But all of this was in the court of the women. And like I said, we've got three concentric courts outside the temple. You had the court of the men, which was right around the temple. You had the court of the women, which was around that. And then the court of the Gentile, which was around that. And you could only go as far as you qualified for. Yet, like I said last evening, the court of the women was a very highly trafficked one because it had these boxes in it, but two, because that's where a a number of the celebrations would take place. So, and that's going to come into play tonight. So that's where Jesus is. That's where he's been speaking. Okay. And like I said, very, very close to where the Sanhedrin would meet, you know, almost within earshot, yet they won't touch him because his hour has not yet come. But so what we're going to deal with, we're going to jump back to the beginning of our verses that we're we're dealing with across these next couple of nights. We're going to jump back to verse 12, and we're going to deal with verse 12 today. And that's Christ's assertion. He, this is his I am statement. So let me reread verse 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So again, it says, Jesus again spoke. Most, most commentators, and I would have to agree with them, he's at the Feast of Booths. We see that all the way to the end of verse 7, and then we see the inner, little interlude about the, uh, the adulterous woman being brought, and then we see him speaking again. The, the way it, it, it almost makes you want to turn around and take this part of verse 8 and shove it up against the, the ending of verse 7 you know, verse 52 and, and, and and John seven, sorry, John chapter seven, because he's speaking there and he's made the proclamation of being the living water, being the source of the living water. 
And here he's proclaiming, I'm the light of the world. So again, that's part of why people are like, we're not really sure that um, chapter 7, verse 53 through 8, verse 11 really belongs there. Maybe that story belongs somewhere else. It belongs, again, like I've said, it belongs in the scriptures. But maybe this isn't exactly where it belongs because it wasn't in the earlier for in the earliest manuscripts that we have. But regardless, it belongs in. So so we'll just take it as that. But again, Jesus is still at the Feast of Booths. He continues on teaching. Um, like I said, he's in in the court of the women and he's teaching, and he proceeds to make this assertion. And he makes the assertion, I am the light of the world. Now we have to remember. So the Messiah, the, this this one that is coming, this Savior, it's made clear throughout the Old Testament that he will bring light, that light is with him. Okay, so basically what Jesus is proclaiming straight up, I am the light of the world. He's saying, I am the Messiah. That's what he is saying there. And again, we, we got to remember the, the whole purpose of the Gospel of John is to show us the apologetic purpose, to show us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And then the evangelistic purpose, so that in believing, we would have life in his name. We would have eternal life. We would have a saving faith. That's, again, that's John 20, verse 31, okay? So we, we know that purpose. So here he is making clear, I'm the light of the world. Basically, I am the Messiah is what he's proclaiming here. He's making it very clear here. But what we have to see as well He's, he's making, so, so I've said many a time and pastor Jay, um, says it as well in, in his sermons, he makes very, very clear any, and Bible studies as well, um, that we have at our church, he makes very, very clear. And I, I agree with him because it is very, very clear as well that things are not put in the Bible in the way they are and in the order they are by accident. Okay. They don't happen by accident. No part of Jesus' ministry happened by accident or happened in the way it did randomly or at random times. We've talked about the divine timetable. God's timetable was established before the foundation of the earth. So these things that are happening, you know, Jesus saying to his brothers, hey, I'm not going up right now. Now is not the time for me to go up. And then going up halfway through the feast, that was God's timetable. And that was established before the foundation of the earth. The same is true here, that they won't take him, even though he's sitting there teaching in the temple, because his hour had not yet come. Again, that divine timetable. So these things don't happen randomly or by accident or in just weird random orders or anything like that. Well, the same is true of his proclamation here. I am the light of the world. Not only is he stating the truth, stating a clear witness about himself, but one of the other, so one of the other festivals that would take place, and it would take place during the Feast of Booths, or one of the celebrations that would take place during the Feast of Booths, and here in the women's courts, in the women's court, they would bring out four giant um, candelabra, giant, you know, um, yeah, candelabra, and they would light them. And the comments that come from, um, and I think this comes in F.F. Um, F. Bruce's commentary on the Gospel of John, that that from an extra-biblical source speaking of this, that when they would light them up, it would light up. I, one, it they would shine almost straight up into the sky like like a like a column of light. If you ever remember growing up, um, and we didn't have them that much in my small town, 
but um, car dealership would have a big, big thing going on. And so they'd have the big spite lights that would shine up in the air and go back and forth and all of that. Well, that's what they, that's what they talked about. This extra biblical source talked about that it shined almost straight up in the air and it was so bright that it almost lit up every little square within Jerusalem when this would light up. It was that bright. And there was a purpose for this. There was there was there was a point. There was a, a memorial here. They were doing this in memory of God leading them through the desert. You know, He led them as a pillar of cloud during the day, but then as a column of fire, as a column of light during the night. And this was in memory of that. Well, here, so this is in memory. They're, they're doing, they do this here. They've done this here during this celebration, whether they do it previously or they're going to do it. Everybody knows it's either happened or it's coming and God leading them in the desert and Jesus proclaiming, I am the light of the world. So not only is he proclaiming, I'm the Messiah, but I can lead you through the desert of this apostate, hypocritical faith to salvation as God did to the Israelites. W what great foreshadowing he's that, you know, from that the Exodus was, this is Jesus saying, I will lead you here. And so he goes on, he who follows now the follows there, it's, it's basically the same word and it can be used in a couple of different ways. It can be used as someone in general, just following along, or it can be used in a very committed follow as in I'm committing my whole life to this. I am submitting everything to this. In this case, in this verse, the connotation here is that when Jesus says, he who follows me, he's speaking of one that sacrifices everything and accepts Jesus as their Lord, their curios, meaning they're his slave and that he's their savior. But he says, he who follows me will never walk in the darkness, meaning he will be constantly led by the light that is Christ. But he goes on, but we'll have the light of life. We'll have that constant guidance through that walk of sanctification, that walk towards being holy because our, our father is holy. So Jesus is clearly proclaiming, I'm the light of the world. He's making clear not only am I the Messiah, but I am God, the God who led you through the, who led you through the wilderness, who led you throughout the 40 years of the Exodus. I am the Messiah. I am the savior and I am the God incarnate. He's making it very clear and he's making clear that those that will follow him, that will truly commit their lives to him, who will, who will put down uh, again, we see, um, and I don't even remember where it is, but where Jesus is very clear that, you know, it, it, you're going to have to sacrifice your mother, your father, your brothers, your sisters, your wives, your children. I have to be before them. That's what he's looking for. He who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. That's what he's saying here. I, I, I and again, it's intentional. Their, their, their um, remembrance there of the lighting the candelabra and it shining up there, and the remembrance of them being led through the wilderness and led to the promised land. 
Well, Jesus is making clear, I'm here and I will lead you to a better promised land because mine is a promised land of the soul, a promised land of your, of your very being of your eternity, not just a new geographic location. This is what Jesus is saying here. I am the light of the world. That's what he's telling them in that connotation. And the thing is, so it's like, you know, we can sit there and look at it and go, oh, well, that, that's kind of convoluted and whatever. The problem is we, we see that because we're not living in their context. The fact is, if you and I were living in first century Palestine and, and we're Jews, him saying that would, would, would give us that, um, and I don't know if you remember, I'm probably dating myself that, Hey, I could have had a V8 moment. I mean, you know, smack in the forehead. It, it, it would be that to them. I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Think, think about it. The light that led them in the night in the wilderness. It never went out. We have no indication of it ever going out, of it running out of batteries, of, of the bulb burning out or anything like that. It lit them faithfully over 40 years in the desert, through the wilderness, and across the Jordan to Jericho, and back into the promised land. This is what Christ is saying to them, and this is what they would hear. This is not me making this up. This is what they would hear when he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. That's what they're hearing. I am the Messiah. I am the Messiah. I am your Savior. And you that will follow me, I will always light your way. And you will have the light of life, the light of eternal life. That's what he's telling them. And he's saying that. You've got to think about that. He's saying that right there near where the Sanhedrin's meeting within, within earshot where the Sanhedrin meets those that are, those that are trying to arrest him and get rid of him. But again, verse 20 says, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Believe me, he's, he's leading towards a confrontation. Remember not six months from this point, chronologically, he's going to be crucified. He knows that, but he's bringing on the confrontation at this point. He's, he's, convicting them. I mean, believe me, he's made, we've, we've seen this, um, shoot from John five on, we've seen him go toe to toe with the Pharisees and the priests, the chief priests, and be very, very clear as to who he is, make proclamation after proclamation and, and do miracle after miracle, making clear that he's the Messiah. So him proclaiming, I am the light of the world, is just a continuation of that. But what we'll end up seeing over the next couple of evenings is the Pharisees arguing with him. I mean, they've got all the information. We've said it before. I've said it before. They've got all the information. The fact is, if they truly knew their scripture, which they're supposed to, they'd already know who he was. They'd already know what's going on. And the fact is, they may have. But they sure weren't willing to give up what they had what they had already set up for themselves. No, they were not. But as much as Jesus was telling this crowd, I am the light of the world, he's saying it to us too. He is our Messiah. 
He is our Savior. And we who follow him, who truly follow him, who don't turn back and take our hands off the plow, we who truly commit our lives to doing his work will never walk in darkness, but we will have the light of life. All right, let's go ahead and close out in prayer. We're going to be closing out with the third day evening prayer before sleep. Let's pray. God of all sovereignty, thy greatness is unsearchable, thy name most excellent, thy glory above the heavens. Ten thousand minister to thee, ten thousand times ten thousand stand before thee. In thy awful presence we are less than nothing. We do not approach thee because we deserve thy notice, for we are sinners. Our necessities compel us. Thy promises encourage us. Our broken hearts incite us. The mediator draws us. Thy acceptance of others moves us. Look thou upon us and be merciful unto us. Convince us of the penalty and pollution of sin. Give us faith to believe and believing to have life in Jesus. May we enter into his sufferings. Let us see thy hand in the instruments of our grief, rejoicing that they are from thy overruling providence. Let not our weeping hinder sowing, nor sorrow duty. While living in a world of change, let us seek the abiding city. Be with us to our journey's end, that we may glorify thee in death as in life. We bless thee for preservation, supplies, mercies, and to thee, keeper of souls, we commit all we are and have. May no evil befall us, no sickness come nigh us, no horror disturb us. May our conscience be clear, our hearts pure our sleep sweet, and with the innumerable company who neither slumber nor rest, we join in ascribing blessing, honor, glory, and power to the Lamb upon the throne forever and ever. Amen. All right, will you have a wonderful evening? Thank you for spending this time with me. I continue to pray that it is edifying and equipping for you and that it, that it helps um, in your walk of sanctification. And I hope to see you tomorrow. Have a good night. God bless. Thank you.